today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Jesus calls for you and I in the same way, in the same commitment when we come to him. Lay all that you have down and come and follow me. It's the same call that he made on the fishermen. They were out there fishing and Jesus says, leave your nets, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's the same call that he made to Matthew. Matthew, you're a tax collector right now. You're making a lot of money as a tax collector, but I want you to leave those tables and I want you to come and follow me. And the word says that those men left those nets and followed after Jesus. The word tells us that Matthew left that text table and he came and followed Jesus. What is it in your life that has changed when you came to Jesus? When Jesus asked the rich man to sell all of his possessions, was he being too extreme? Why didn't Jesus ask him to sell some or a good portion, but all? In today's study, Pastor David will unpack the calling every Christian has in their journey to follow Jesus. We are likewise challenged to leave everything behind as we decide to follow Him. Our hearts cannot be attached to things from our past or the things from this world. Have we surrendered everything into His hands? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Eternal Life or Temporary Gain. They'll look at situations like popularity or the accolades of men. They'll look at finances or success or fame. They look at perhaps maybe if I leave a legacy that really gives me an, an eternal life structure. Man tries to live on throughout eternity on his own ability, not realizing that all of these things, all of these things outside of Christ, they're simply superficial and there's absolutely no value for eternity. Perhaps man tries to gain eternal life through his own works, and yet he finds, like this young man, he fails at some point. This man, all of these things I've kept since my youth. This man, even with his finances, his success, his fame, even with his power, even with his authority, he still came to Jesus. He came to the right person. He asked the right question. How could he get it so wrong? How could he not end up with the right thing at that point? You go to Jesus and you say, what can I do? What must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus will give you that answer. Are you ready to receive the answer? That's the question. Are you really ready to receive? Can you handle the truth? Okay. As Jesus looked upon this man, he recognized the guy's heart right away. And there was apparently this truth, this sincerity that was within this man, within his actions, within his question, all of these things. As a matter of fact, Mark in his gospel record tells us that Jesus immediately had love for this man. He saw the sincerity. He saw the truth within this man. And as Jesus was able to see the hearts of all men, he also recognized that even within this guy's heart, there was still a major issue. 
with all the truth, with all the sincerity that was there, there was still an issue that this man hadn't dealt with. So Jesus now is going to take him, hopefully through the process, help this man to take an account of, of his own life, and he continues to direct comments and the conversation toward the man. He comes to him there in verse 20. He says, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Here Jesus draws the man's attention to five of the last six of the ten commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with our personal relationship with God. We read in the word that again, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All of those deal with our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And it appears as this man comes to Christ that he's got those things going for him. He's at least in some kind of a format, in some kind of a form, he is keeping those things to the best of his ability. But then the final six deal with our relationship to our fellow man, including our parents says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. And when Jesus asks the man about five of these final six commandments, Jesus doesn't even list them in order. And, and yet it's very clear that he's not including one of those, the very last one. The young man was pretty quick to answer. He says, oh, all of these things, I've kept them since my youth. All of these. There's no doubt this young man, he considered himself to be a true, a good, a faithful Jew. Interesting that Jesus didn't point to this man in regards to his inner life and even to his thought life. You know, Jesus speaks about, well, if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. Jesus tells us elsewhere, you know, if you've lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Jesus doesn't even go there. I mean, I'm sure he could have gone there and shown the guy, yeah, you're still guilty, even of the ones that you think that you're doing right. But Jesus zeroes in on one that he knows that this man is no doubt really, truly struggling with. Even though this young man considered himself close to sinless, probably in his own mind, in the reality, there was something that was really lacking in his life. There was apparently something bothering the young man enough. And as Jesus gives him a partial list of the commandments, this man's initial response was, hey, all of these things, I've kept them from my youth. I'd imagine that in his heart, he may have actually believed, well, all of these things and all the others I've kept since my youth. But Jesus wasn't too impressed. Have you ever tried to impress God with how good you are? Somehow it just doesn't work, does it? We can declare, yeah, but I'm not as bad as he is, or I'm not as bad as she is, and Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, but you still fall way, way short. Verse 22, when Jesus heard these things, he said to the young man, you still lack one thing, though. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
This is where Jesus deals with number 10, this whole idea of thou shalt not covet. And the fullness of that word is thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's animals, nor anything that your neighbor has. And apparently, this is a primary weakness in this young man. We know that the young guy was a ruler. We, we see that from what the word says. And whether he was a synagogue ruler or a, a big land owner, whatever the case would be, we don't know, but we do know that the man had some kind of authority. We also find out that this guy had wealth. He had great wealth. Luke tells us that he was very rich. Matthew and Mark tells us that he had great possessions. Possession upon possession upon possession. We need to understand, though, Jesus wasn't really focusing on making this man perform some kind of act of benevolence or goodwill. He was looking to see the response of the man's heart. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, he says, Though I bestow all of my goods and feed the poor, if I don't have love, man, I'm nothing. So you see, it's not this external act that Jesus is really looking for on this guy. We look at it and say, wow, give away everything. That's a pretty huge step. It's not so much that as the inner working of this man's heart. Even in all the singular acts of goodness this man declares that he's done since his youth, there's apparently a heart issue that he's never dealt with. And that's why Jesus tells him, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. Why? Because he was so rich. Both Matthew and Mark, they tell us, this young man then went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Stop and think about it for a minute. If that guy didn't have great possessions, if he only had meh possessions, would he have still done the same thing? I believe that there comes a point in time in our possessions that suddenly we no longer possess them, but they possess us. I believe that that's where this young man has moved into. When the 10th commandment speaks against coveting, it, it includes not only this desire to own someone else's good fortune, but I believe that it also deals with the problem of allowing our good fortune to own us to the point that, man, we just do everything we can to hold on to what we've got. It suddenly becomes the God in our life. And our life is focused on those things. I want to make really certain, and again, I want you to understand that our conversion isn't through keeping a bunch of good works. Even if this guy kept all the commandments, all 10 commandments, that's still not enough. Our conversion comes with a response of heart, a response of heart that goes to the grace of God through faith, and we surrender our whole lives to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what salvation is all about. That's what conversion is about. It's not keeping a bunch of laws and rules and regulations. It's not about just feeding the poor, taking care of the sick. It's not just about honoring our mothers and our fathers. It's not about doing all these things. It is about a surrendered life. And then, beloved, when we have a surrendered life, then these things help us to see how we ought to live our life now as believers. This young man wasn't willing to surrender all of his life. You see, it was a heart issue. He wasn't willing to surrender what he had in order that he might follow Jesus. He wanted salvation on his own terms, not God's. And so he turned and he went his way very sorrowful.
Fact is, we could never do enough good works to obtain our salvation. And just like this young man, we would always fall short of it. And rather than turning away from the leading and the directing of Christ in our lives, as this young man did, we need to surrender our lives to him. And only then are we going to truly find ourselves as inheritors of eternal life. You might think, this guy over here, he's got so much. Why couldn't he have given some to the poor? Wouldn't that have been sufficient if I would have just given some of my stuff to the poor, take care of the poor around me? No. Jesus told the young man, sell all that you have. All that you have. You say, well, that's kind of a radical call, Jesus. How am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to take care of perhaps my family and perhaps even my parents? That's just out of the scope of understanding. But you know that Jesus calls for you and I in the same way, in the same commitment when we come to him. Lay all that you have down and come and follow me. It's the same call that he made on the fishermen. They were out there fishing, and Jesus says, leave your nets, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's the same call that he made to Matthew. Matthew, you're a tax collector right now. You're making a lot of money as a tax collector, but I want you to leave those tables, and I want you to come and follow me. And the word says that those men left those nets and followed after Jesus. The word tells us that Matthew left that tax table, and he came and followed Jesus. What is it in your life that has changed when you came to Jesus? Well, nothing really. I just kind of came to Jesus. Beloved, the word tells us that when we come to Jesus, the old things are passed away and everything becomes new in our life. If nothing else, there needs to be an inner change within our hearts and lives. And it may be a surrender of worldly goods in order to follow him. Some have that call on their lives. Does that mean that there are no rich people? No, but what it does mean is that we live our lives in surrender to Christ. Judson Vandevender, back in the 1800s, a hymn writer, knew exactly what he was talking about when he wrote the words for the hymn. It's probably very familiar to many of you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. Seems pretty apparent that this man's riches owned him. He had sold himself out for the riches of the world, and thus he forfeited the opportunity to inherit the riches of God's glory. Let's look at the balance of this passage, beginning down in verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It appears as though this inner struggle that was going on with this young man is the fact that he loved his riches and it overpowered his desire for eternal life. He loved his riches and it overpowered his desire for eternal life. What could there possibly be within your life and my life that we love so much within our life that we're willing to let it limit what God is doing in our life? Oh, maybe we have eternal life. Maybe we've come by faith to receive Christ. But maybe there's still something within our life that we're holding on to that God says, you know what? If you would lay that down, surrender that to me, there's so much more that I could work and move and do within your life. 
How many times even as believers, we walk away sorrowful, not ready to really experience the fullness of what Christ wants to do in our life because there's still something that we're holding on to. This man's focus was much more on the here and now, and it wasn't focused enough on the eternity that awaits us all. But beloved, even right now, here and now, Christ wants to work in our lives for his glory, and yet all too often there's way too many, even within the church, that are still holding on to something. Maybe for you it is the desire for riches and fame. Maybe it's a a direction of life that you're wanting to keep and hold on to. You don't want to surrender that to the Lord. Maybe it's even your family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, whatever it might be. The Lord calls for us to surrender it all to him in order that he might work in our lives for his glory. Teaching of Jesus warns us, man, we need to take heed. We need to beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And that's why here in verse 25, he continues on and he says this really ridiculous thing. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now you need to realize Jesus isn't against riches. He's not. There's many that are wealthy that are called into the kingdom and he's not calling them to give away all of their riches, but what he is saying is surrender those riches to my use. You see, if I'm very wealthy, I can come to Christ and if I surrender my wealth to him, then I could use that wealth to glorify him, not of my own holding and and, and harboring and, and, and locking up within me, but no, I open up my life, I open all of my life up before him. Jesus isn't saying that every rich man needs to give all that he has to the poor, but he does tell us that we need to surrender everything into his hands in order that he might direct us in his way for his purposes. But unfortunately, there's too many still within the body of Christ, just like this young man. They are possessed by possessions, and they don't want to be set free. Because salvation is always a work of God, followed by the surrender of the obedience of man. Jesus knew there were many things that hinder us from following him in the Father's kingdom. The illustration he uses is a hyperbole, it's an extreme exaggeration, it's just absolutely crazy. But it's there to help us to understand that if we are possessed by so much stuff within our lives, It's extremely difficult for us to completely surrender it all to the Lord. Here, Jesus uses this ridiculous illustration to express an extreme impossibility. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a weaver's needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. There's a lot of trying to understand what he's saying there, but just understand this. It's a ridiculous thing, impossibility. His followers see the absurdity of the illustration and they question Jesus in verse 26. Those that who heard it said, who then can be saved? And Jesus' response to them was, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Does it seem to be impossible? Yeah, in our limited understanding. But beloved, you and I need to remember that with God, most things are possible, amen? No, you're not listening. I just said that to see if you were listening. With God, most things are impossible? No. 
with God, all things are possible. Just wanted to make sure you're still awake and make sure you got some coffee going. All too often, we try to figure out the how and when God's going to act or, or do something. We, we need to be a people who are living our lives in absolute faith in that sovereignty, in that omniscience, the all-knowing, in that omnipotence, the all-powerful person and presence of God. And when I understand who he is, when my understanding of him continues to grow and to expand, then I can understand all things are possible with him. That means even in this one area in my life that I'm so fearful of laying down to the Lord that I can lay that down and trust him in it. And knowing that in my surrender of these issues of my life, these areas of my life, this direction of my life, this weakness in my life, as I lay that down to him, that I can trust him because all things are possible in and through him. And he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. He goes way beyond what you and I could ever begin to figure out. When we think we've surrendered so much to follow Jesus, we need to realize that we can never outgive God and God will never allow himself to be put in the position of debtor. God's not gonna owe you anything. There's so much that he has done already on our behalf. Peter tells him here in this passage, verse 28, says, sir, we've left all and followed you. But what is Jesus' response there in 29? Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Beloved, it's not just pie in the sky by and by. It's the reality of the presence of God working in our lives right now as we surrender our lives fully and completely to him. Lord, I don't know what you want with my life. I don't know the direction you're leading me in this life, but I want my life to count for you in every aspect of my life. Life offered by this world, maybe it is gonna be filled with riches. Maybe you're gonna have a great family situation. Maybe you're gonna have fame. Maybe you're gonna have worldly possessions. Maybe you're gonna have worldly power. Even in the greatest lives of this world, they cannot even begin to be compared to the rewards of a life in God, a life that God is now offering to those that by faith surrender their lives and every aspect of their lives to Christ, both now and for all of eternity. And my question that I wanna leave with you this morning is, why would you settle for a temporary gain when God offers you the richness of eternal life even right now. Eternal life even right now with the power of God and the Spirit of God working and moving through your life. Why? Because you continually surrender every aspect of your life. You continually surrender all of your life, your plans, your directions, your time, your talent, your treasures to Him for His glory. Maybe He will tell you, hey, you know what? You need to resign from that job because I want to call you on the mission field. Whoa, oh, yeah, 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 that ain't gonna happen. Why not? Why wouldn't it happen?
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.